Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cool Podcast. My name is Michael Bath. This is Owner Stories Day. It's Tuesday. Uh, today, we have a slightly different one, or I have a slightly different one, a different owner. Not a different owner, a different car. Uh, it's not a 911. It's not a Boxster. It's not a Cayman. Uh, it's, not, um, it's not something we've had on the podcast before, actually. I don't think I've had, have I? I can't remember. I should know this off the top of my head. But anyway, Daniel's coming in today and Daniel's coming in from Australia. Daniel's coming in from Brisbane. He's going to join me very shortly via Zoom, how we do all these owner stories. They're all done via Zoom. Um, And Daniel's got a 944. Uh, You would have seen that in the title. I don't usually give it away in the beginning, but he's got a 944. He's got a Transaxle Porsche. Um, I'm interested to hear Daniel's story. He's owned it for a little while. Um, I'm interested to hear about his ownership experience. I think it will be a good one. I don't know much about uh, 924s, 944s, 968s, 928s. I'm not... I don't know a lot about them. I know a little bit, but I don't know a lot. So I'm interested in, in talking to Daniel and, and hearing more about this car and hearing about this Porsche. And, uh, you know, as we know, it's very hard to get into Porsche at the moment. It's very hard to get into 911s. 996s have gone crazy in price. Um, the 944, the 924, the 968 are still, there's still models there, 928 as well. There's still models there along with the Boxster that, you know, People who want a Porsche, who want their first Porsche, can get into. Um, yes, it's not a 911, um, but if you want to get into the brand, you want to start experiencing Porsche, you know, you should really be looking at the the other models. Um, and like we always say, you buy what you can afford. You can always change up later uh, when some more money comes in or you, your circumstances change, but it's all about enjoying the brand, enjoying the community and, and just getting out there and, and driving your Porsche, uh, whatever it may be. Anyway, this is number uh, 43 of the Owner's Owners Story series. Uh, I'm going to get Daniel. It's almost time to connect via Zoom. So let me just get Daniel on the line from Australia, and let's talk about his Porsche Cooled Owner's Story. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Owner's Stories. Like I said, this is number 43. Uh, And today I have... um, Dan coming in. I actually did it in the intro. I actually said Daniel, but Dan said, call him Dan, not Daniel. So we're going to say Dan from now on. Um, welcome, Dan. And thanks for um, joining me today on the um, Owner Stories episode. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me here. It's, uh, yeah, really, really exciting. <laughs> and I just want to tell the listeners, um, Dan has reached out to me a while back. It took me a while to get to him. Dan also uh, comments on my YouTube channel. He's been following that for a while, I think, haven't you, Dan? I mean, I, I see your comments appear every now and again. Um, I don't comment so much on YouTube, but yeah, I, I watch your uh, I watch your videos on YouTube. It's a good way of uh, it's sort of handy at work doing it through YouTube via the computer, I guess. <laughs> All right, so owner stories we always like to begin at the beginning, um, and we always like to begin where you know you first where you first started uh, noticing Porsche. You know what I mean? Like when it was your, when you're a young kid, when you're five or six. You know, did someone in your street have a have a Porsche in Brisbane, or did someone you know like you knew had a Porsche? When did you start noticing it? Was it just recently when you bought your first one, or was it you know when you were much much younger? Um, it was actually a really long time ago when I was quite young. I mean, I must have. Uh, I, I used to live in my family used to live in Hong Kong when I was quite a bit younger, and um, at that point in time, uh, car. Cars in Hong Kong seem to be there. Seem to be a lot more exotic cars around that were uh, available, I guess. And I remember one particular memory was Dad taking me one day um, in the morning to go look at this car, and went to this apartment building. And this guy met us there. Went downstairs into the car park, and there was this uh, a red nine two four Carrera GTS there, and uh, it was a pretty. I mean, I definitely appreciate that car a lot more now than I, when I was younger but I mean even then it was a, a very very cool car and I remember dad was quite interested at that point in time because it was before um sorry I meant to say GT not GTS um the these cars had really picked up in value and um the guy didn't have uh, license plates on it so he only got to drive it around downstairs in the car park but it was a really it had you know definitely had presence to it so that was that's probably my first Porsche memory was of this 924 uh, very special car. I mean, being in being in Hong Kong as a kid 
would have been you would have seen so many cars as well because there really is you know Hong Kong has a great great selection of uh, cars on the street. I mean, every time I've been there, it's always it's always been you know pretty special. And then there's all I remember I, I see things on video on YouTube and stuff. All those underground car parks with all those exotic cars just parked, you know, all through the uh, all through the city. So the nine two four GT. Yeah, you get. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say you definitely get some crazy you know crazy car things happening in Hong Kong. I remember there was another car that Dad went to look at was a a Testarossa and um, we went to look at it and it, it was only the front half of it because the back, the the car was on its way to the airport and it caught fire. So there's no engine left with the car, but really? he knew a guy that had no front end to the car. So he was thinking like, Oh, maybe I could stick these two cars together. And it's just, there's stuff like that. You know, really? I, I live in Brisbane he, now and it's just not the same. Anymore. I was going to say from, from Hong Kong to Brisbane, that's a big change, isn't it? I mean, not that there's anything wrong with Brisbane, but that's a big change from Hong Kong, but the 924 GT, that was available in Australia, wasn't it? I think it was. Um, yeah, I believe so. Um, they weren't. I, I think I've um, I've seen a couple. I mean, it was a long time ago now. I mean, there was a couple on car sales, but you know, just with the prices and whatnot, they've just you, you wouldn't see that sort of car sales anymore. I suppose. So. Yeah, they're quite expensive because they are quite they're quite rare, aren't they? The nine two four GTS. Yeah, that's, that's for right. sure. Yeah. Um, I think I saw one actually. Come to think of it, I have seen one, and I saw one at Auto House Hamilton in Sydney. It mm. was parked there one day when I took my car in. I do remember now. I have actually seen one. Um, it's a mm. nice looking car. It really is a special car. So that's where it all started. So you see that night. I mean, the nine two four is quite a. In getting into your story and the listeners knowing what car you own now, it, it's quite um, coincidental that you see that car and that's the one you remember and the car that you're actually driving now, the Porsche that you're driving now. So you see that 924 GT, um, you're just young. How does your car journey progress then? I mean, a lot of us, you know, we can't get into Porsche straight away, so we have other cars. Are there any other notable cars that the listeners, that you want to tell the listeners about on your journey to your first Porsche? Uh, well, look, I mean, I... I uh, I guess this maybe we'll see, you know, if, uh, as this conversation goes forward, um, a lot of my decision, car decisions and um, affections, I guess, really definitely come from uh, my dad. I mean, he's a, uh, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this coming up to this, uh, this podcast that um, when people look at and are interested in cars, it's often the car of, of their youth or something like that, that they really hankered after, you know, like uh, skylines and things now are the, uh, you know the, the car that's really picking up in value, but I think for yep. me, the car that I found, uh, the cars I found very interesting were cars from the late seventies and early eighties, or you know just generally the eighties. Um, and I think that was largely to do with the things that uh, were being read around my ha- around the household when I was younger. Um, things that uh, you know, toy cars, Hot Wheels, those sorts of things. You know, the, just those sorts of cars really affected um, that decision. Um, I've I've mostly been into uh, I've only really owned a motorbike for a long time um, because I, I wanted to progress towards owning a car that I've always wanted. So I've had an Alfa Romeo uh, Giulietta uh, QV for some time, and then I sold that um, in preparation to buy uh, the car that I have now, which was uh, is sort of a, an ambition that I've had for quite a long time to get to this point. All right, so you had the you had an Alfa Romeo. Um, Alfa Romeo is a it, it's still a good driver's car, isn't it? It's a really you know that's a special one, the QV. It's not um, it's not just your ordinary Alfa Romeo. Um, what bike did you have? I can see the Ducati sign. You listeners can't see it, but I can see your Ducati sign behind you. Uh, is that what you own or still own? Yeah, yeah, I've um, yeah, I still I have a, a Ducati Monster at the moment. Um, it's just it's pretty unbeatable for getting between here and there and just, you know, uh, ripping the, up the car, the canyons, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the motorcycles are definitely a, an affordable way to get performance um, on the road. So uh, that's, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's pretty, uh, I guess having a motorbike's definitely affected what's, what interests me in cars because it's not necessarily just looking for pure performance and uh, in the vehicle, it's, it's the whole uh, what what's involved with how you get the performance, the driving feel, um, the experience you have on the road, I guess, and also just the ownership experience, which is really special. Um, so it's not necessarily been trying to find a, a car that's just blisteringly fast or something like that, which would also cost a lot of money. Um, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying, actually. 
then because it's like I mean I owned a motorbike you know quite a few years ago now I mean 2014 or whatever it was 2014 I think I got rid of it um, but that was only a 250 Honda and and that was because that was the bike that I got my license on and that that I learned on and I didn't actually upgrade because that's when I started traveling overseas so I just sold it and I never bought another mm. one but the feeling is always there to get another one and I think you're right about you know driving a driving a motor riding a motorcycle and driving a Porsche and I've asked this with previous owners too there is some kind of and you you know, you don't have a 911, you don't have a re-engine 911, but for with the 911 experience, it kind of feels a bit in a 911, a bit like that motorcycle experience. And I don't know whether it's the, <clears throat> it's the transfer of weight, like that you feel when you're on a bike, you know, when you're leaning and stuff. I don't know whether there's similarities there, but I do find there is a similarity between riding a motorcycle and, and driving a Porsche. Um, hmm. Is that the same with your... Porsche, do you feel that there's some similarities there or not really? And it isn't all about speed, like you said, um, it's about experience. Mm. You know, the thing that, uh, I mean, like you said before, I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Ducatis and one of the reasons why I find the similarity that I actually find between Ducatis and Porsches is this sort of uh, pursuit of some kind of, to be honest, a bit of a dead-end technology, but just perfecting that technology until it's better than maybe something else that would alternatively better be better. So, I mean, with Porsche, it was sticking the engine in, in the rear, having it air-cooled for so long. Um, for Tugatis, it's having yep. this big V-twin. Um, not many performance vehicles have that sort of uh, uh, history, I guess. Or um, And I, I find it very interesting how both brands have pursued that side of things. I'm not necessarily... I, I think with having an older Porsche, it's probably similar to a motorbike in terms of just being having to be hyper aware of what's happening and being very conscious of what's happening on the road because you feel like with the car and the bike, you, you feel a lot more of what's happening, I suppose. And it would probably be uh, a lot more obvious with a car like a, a 911, which is far more in tune with that front front wheel light driving. Yep, yep. So you... So you, you're starting to think about the Porsche. You, you know, you, you're waiting. You've got your Alfa Romeo QV, uh, Giulietta QV, and then you're thinking, okay, I'm going to start looking. I want to start looking for a Porsche. Um, I've always wanted one. You remember that one back in Hong Kong? Do you think? Mm. Do you think? And, and like I said, the listeners will know what you own because it's in the it's in the title. But do you think? You know, can I stretch it to a 911? Can I stretch it to a 996? What were the when you started looking? Do you did you think? I'll look for some Boxsters. I'll look for a Boxster because the Boxster prices are okay in Australia. I'll look for mm. a 996, which, you know, over a year ago, they were a little bit cheaper. Or do you think, no, I want I want a Transaxle Porsche. I want something like a 928, a 924, a 944. Yeah, so uh, the Boxsters and the 996s are definitely on the ra- radar. And I mean, particularly, uh, I guess part of, the, part of the task that I sort of assigned to myself in a way was making sure that whatever vehicle I had purchased, there's obviously going to be some spending involved with that uh, experience. So it needed to be something that would be manageable. So something like a 996, and as it's turned out, all pushes in a funny way, um, with the prices going up, you there's a sense of uh, comfort that can be taken from the fact that if you the amount of money that you spend in the car potentially could be kept up with uh, with the market. So, I mean... Uh, 996s were interesting in that way. Um, honestly, the boxes, I, I didn't appreciate the, Funnily, I didn't appreciate the boxes as much at the time when I was looking at cars, um, particularly the 986 series. I, I always found the overhangs on the front and the back a bit funny, but uh, maybe I've been looking at too many photos of them recently. I find I've, they're definitely starting to see, seem a lot more appealing to me now. Um, but uh, really, the 944 series of uh, Porsche was the one that I'd always really wanted. It was the transaxle uh, part of the design that I'd, I'd always really appreciated. And um, Dad's, uh, Dad's owned a few uh, Alfettas in his time. And again, that car's also a, uh, a, uh, a transaxle vehicle. And he's now got a, a GDV, an Alfetta GDV. And there's definitely a nice... Uh, symmetry in having this Italian transaxle and a German transaxle and how these two different companies have gone about uh, pursuing that type of uh, vehicle layout. Right. So what, what model, I'm just going to 
go to a different track here. What's the model of your dad's GTV? What year, what year is that? He actually has the same uh, build year as my car. It's a 1984 um, Alfa GTV. He, he bought the car. They're the um, nice, they're a nice shape. Sorry, Dan. They're, they're a really nice shape that around that generation. Mm. Yeah. Very iconic. Very. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Like, I mean, straight out of the, I mean, I feel like straight out of the eighties with that wedge shape, you know, I mean, a bit like the 944, it's just that, that wedge shape that just looks so stunning. Yeah. So competitors at the time, right? They were out at the same time around about same, close to the same model year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, so his, my, my car is, uh, was delivered the 21st of December, 1984, uh, in Melbourne. Okay. And his car was also plated in December 84. So wow. I guess they're both 85 models. So they're very, very close. Yeah. Um, Coincidence. And, uh, yeah, that's right. It's funny how these things sort of work the, their way out. So That's um, great. That's a great thing yeah, to I mean, um, enjoy with your dad, to share with your dad, to have those two. So let's, let's go back to your car. So you've decided that the 944 is the one. At the time, you don't like the 968. I don't really know what the main difference between a 968 and a 944 is. I should... I know the body shape's slightly different, but I just can't. I just can't sort of pinpoint it. But so you're looking for the 944. How long did it take you before you you found one? Now, for the overseas listeners, I just want to say the 944s are reasonable prices in Australia, but there's a lot of bad ones online, right? There's a lot of ones that haven't really been looked after that well. So how do you yeah, go about it, Dan? Definitely. Um, sorry, just to jump back before it was. I meant to say the 986 series Boxster. Not the 968 oh, okay. um, model uh, Porsche. <laughs> All right. Okay. 968 model Porsche, they're, they're, they're hard to come by here, I think, because of the uh, – we can come back to it, but uh, found some interesting history about that uh, that gen- that period of Porsche in Australia. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, how, do I, how do I go about buying the 944? It was kind of an interesting journey. I, uh, I, try, I, I test drove a couple here in Brisbane, but um, I kind of realised after I test driven a couple that it – uh, made this, uh, I, I don't know if it was like man logic or something, but realized I didn't necessarily have to drive the car I bought. Like I knew what they all, they all going to drive much the same. So I'd go, I'd set out on the internet and look, try looking for something that, that, uh, that looked all right, you know, uh, fit the budget, fit the, uh, fit the passion and all these sorts of things. So, um, the first car I tried in Brisbane was actually a, um, it was, as it's turned out, a slightly rare model of 944, it had a 2.7-litre engine in it, um, and that okay. was only around for one, one year, I believe, in 19... I think in 19... It was either 87 or 89 that they had the 2.7-litre engine. Um, it, normally, the cars are 2.5-litre in line four and, or a, a 2.5 turbo with a 944 turbo or a 3-litre um, if you have uh, the... Um, the S2 model. Um, was the last, a few. Sorry, was the last was the last model of the 944 around 1990, or was it a bit later? Um, I believe it was 1993. I okay. want to say um, 92 for the S2, um, and then they produced the 968 for three years after, after that. Um, the yeah, the car was um, the S2 uh, has a, a three liter 16 valve engine. Um, so it's a little bit different to to my car. Um, I've got a, a 2.5 eight valve in in my car. Um, from from accounts, the <laughs> the uh, the S2 is the one to probably go for at the moment, I believe. But um, right. So you're you're looking for this 944. Do you buy the first one that came up? No. So the first one, I, this 2.7 that I looked at, um, it turned out it was a, uh, after talking to the owner a bit, was a, uh, a left-hand drive converted to a right-hand drive from America. Um, and since sort of a, I'm a, I've been looking at things on online, on car sales a fair bit um, since buying the car, and it seems like there's it's not a, an insubstantial number of uh, these conversions that have happened for whatever reason um in the country and uh it looked like it was a good car but honestly i, I knew that um it would probably never be worth um the same um which as i sort of alluded to before was a bit of a, a bit of a uh something that i needed to look into when buying the car but um it was also not quite the right car for me i wanted a square i wanted as it turned out i wanted uh, quite an early model I, I wanted a square dash um okay 
944. Um, and in 19, there's a split in 1985 where they go to an oval dash. Uh, and it's a much more modern look, but uh, I was definitely looking for something that was more uh, nostalgic, I guess. In so was that when they changed in the 944, and I read this a while back, they changed the interior to be more like the 911? So is that so your model has the more the 924 interior than the 911 interior? Is that correct where they changed it more yeah. like the seats changed to more to be like the 911 or they were the 911 seats? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um so the 924 and the nine, uh my my car has the 924 square dash. Um and uh in 85 and a half there was a number of changes that happened but um the, the later cars and the turbo share the same interior. Um, okay. And I, I suspect that was probably largely the impetus was to uh, the, the turbo came out the following year. Right, um, and right. The whole model line ended up having the same sort of interiors and things like that. Oh, okay. So um, just update everything. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, so you, yeah. you found this car. It's, you found the first car you find. It's a, it's a conversion. Um, probably wise to stay away from that. I'm not a big fan of left-hand drive conversions. But there was enough 944s that were delivered to Australia anyway. So you would eventually come across an Australian delivered one, right? I mean, even if, even a British one, even a great a GB one, a UK one, would probably be okay instead of a left-hand conversion. So what do you find next? Is that the one you end up buying or is, it, is there another one? No, there was a couple in between there. Um, I tried to pursue a, uh, an S, a 944S on the central coast. Um, that was actually a GB imported one, um, but uh, that one didn't quite... That one didn't quite happen. Another one that just got away, I guess. And uh, anyway, as time was going on, I kind of realized that uh, I, I was really uh, things I needed to look for in a car with a good, you know, service history that went back to the the start, the very beginning, um, which is something that's not always at the at this point in time. This was pre-COVID. Um, yeah. Some, you know, before the whole COVID tax happened with cars on car sales. Um, some of the cars there were just being sold. Uh, without very with very little information um, associated with them, so um, the car that I ended up coming across um, at the time was the cheapest one on car sales, which at, again at the time seemed like a really good idea, but in retrospect probably uh, wasn't such a great idea. Um, but uh, this one was down. Sorry, is this why you? Sorry to interrupt. Interrupting. Is this why you skipped on the one on the Central Coast because the price was a bit high? Is that the reason, or was it mechanically? No, that, that one was. Um, no, it's just the uh, – actually, to be honest, the owner just never got back to me. <laughs> he, um, oh, okay. We had a couple of phone calls and when uh, things started getting serious, I, he was a FIFO from the mines. So, uh, sorry, a fly-in, fly-out um, right. fellow from the mines. So, I don't know if that was making things difficult for him to sell the car. Um, I noticed a couple of months after I'd bought my car, he dropped the price uh, quite substantially and sold the car quite quickly. Well, the car disappeared from car sales quite quickly at that point. So um, it was also, um, he hadn't had it plated yet. Um, he'd just oh, imported okay. it into Australia. It hadn't been plated yet. Um, right. Not that that, I don't think that would have been a big deal. Um, the car, sound, from the way he spoke of the history, it sounded like quite a quite a solid car. Um, just an extra the S cost been in, though to you. That's right. Yeah. And it would have been something else to have to chase up. Um, but I mean, a 944S would have been interesting. It's a, um, 16 valve uh, engine so um, there are not so many of those they didn't make many of those ones they weren't a particularly popular model at the time right okay so you find this car you find the cheapest 944 um, <laughs> where where is it located so it was i think the suburb was brighton uh in melbourne okay um, the, the famous the, what i yeah, call the it, famous porsche suburb where all the best porsches live are, are yeah. in, a lot of them in brighton yeah go on I think this fellow was one of them. He, um, the guy was a uh, had raced previously, and there's a 944 race series that they have down in in Melbourne. Uh, sorry, in Victoria, um, and he had participated in it um, at some point in his past. And a bit of a sad story. He bought this car looking to um, do it up with his, or you know, uh, in mind for it to be his son's. But then uh, his son ended up. Uh, getting an automatic license, I believe. So it wasn't okay. really the car for him. Um, so he was just he was moving it on uh, to make space, and uh, that's when it uh, fell into my hands. I I called him up, and um, it all started from there, I guess. Okay, so let's tell the listeners. Tell the listeners exactly what you bought, uh, the model year, um, the color, 
um, if there's any options that you know about and, and, you know, just all about the car. Just tell the listeners what you actually bought, Dan. Yeah, sure. So it's a Garnet Red uh, 1985 model year 944. Um, it's a manual uh, and it's an Australian delivered car. Um, in terms of things that it actually came with originally, um, uh, this is came with uh, electric windows, which I suppose was kind of a big deal back which in the was, day. Yeah, it <laughs> <Yeah>. was. <laughs> um, came with the sunroof, which is not unusual for 944s. Um, and the part that I particularly was looking out for was it came with air conditioning um, in the car. And for that, uh, for that period of time, it's quite unusual to get, uh, I'm led to believe, quite unusual to get air conditioning in the car because a lot of the cars were imported into Australia without air conditioning and uh, fitted in Australia. I think uh, a company called Air International fitted air conditioning locally um, are they the, the ones? Sorry, are they yeah. the ones that don't look so integrated? They don't look very integrated. Yeah, do that's they? right. Yeah. No. Um, so, um, with the nine four four, with the square dash ones, there's uh, three dials on the center console. So you have your um, you have your oil temperature. Um, you have a clock, and then if you didn't have air conditioning, you'd also have a, a voltmeter, I guess, for your battery. Um, but with the air conditioning, that's taken out and replaced with a, a pretty uh, complicated dial, which works as both a, a temperature uh, gauge and also a speed if you pull it. Um, oh, okay. Which, yeah, it's it's a, a bit of an unusual way of doing air conditioning, but uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, I guess. But um, I think in retrospect, I probably would have bought the oval dash one if I was, once I'd realised that air conditioning was important in Queensland, but I probably should have realized that beforehand. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> to the overseas listeners, Queensland is pretty hot. Um, so you definitely need <laughs> you definitely need an air-conditioned car. So, okay, so you found this car. It's a private seller, right? It's a private seller. It's in Brighton in Melbourne. You're in Queensland, so it's a, it's a big distance. Um, how do you, and I'm guessing at this point, you have a vague or you have an, an idea of what the issues are with a 944. Are they in the back of your mind? Do you do you feel like you need to get these checks or is it like, well, there's going to be issues. I'm going to have to fix them. This is the cheapest one. It's not going to be a problem. Oh, definitely. I um, I got it checked out. So, I mean, I know we're, uh, you guys are a fan of uh, pre-purchase inspections on, on the Porsche cast. So, uh, yeah, he, it, um, I got that done. Um, I, I forget the name of the company I did it with, but it was a, it was a, Porsche specialist down in Melbourne. That was convenient distance to the uh, to the owner. Um, so that that shed some light on things that needed to happen on the car. Um, it wasn't an insubstantial list of things that needed to happen, um, but uh, considering what the price was for the vehicle and then what uh, what the estimated cost was going to be, I felt like it was probably a comfortable thing to be. I felt comfortable at the time. Uh, with what needed to happen, um, so you know, just name a few things. Uh, the the suspension in the car was pretty uh, knackered, so it needed uh, it needed new new struts and things like that in the car. Um, the air conditioning was also of the period where they had that um, I forget the name of it, but the the type of uh, gas that uh, eats the ozone. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't remember the name. I don't of it know right the now, name, but anyway, I that needed mean, to. Yeah. Yeah, so that needed to be sorted out. Um, you know, there's just but uh, the part that was really you know good about the car was I uh, got a compression test done on the car, and uh, it was the the pressures in the cylinders were all uh, you know as they should be, you know, like a new car, which was something that was very important in the back of my mind um, because the car has got um, it's not a nicosil, it's an alusil um, lining on the cylinders, and I'm not absolutely certain um how you would go about fixing that in brisbane because from what i've read most people have seemed to have sent their engines off to melbourne but it sounded like an expensive exercise so i was trying hoping to avoid uh that experience so having a good engine was very important and um, a good uh, service history and the car had its history its logbooks going all the way back to uh 1984 so uh that was that was so really was, important to me. It was sold uh, in Melbourne, Dan? The car was a Melbourne sold car? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think it was sold at Hamilton's. Okay. Uh, that can't be right. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was sold in, it was sold in Melbourne. Um, 
So you have and, a. Uh, it's been it's spent all. You have a clear idea of how many owners the car had. Yeah, so I believe I'm the fifth owner um, of the car. Um, there were two brothers. It seems to have been that there were two brothers fairly early on you know, that owned the car. Um, so that that part of things got me a little bit confused reading through the service history because they didn't always use the last name when writing out receipts. Um, but uh, I believe there were two brothers that owned the car fairly early on. And then there was another, um, the third owner owned it for quite a number of years for the majority of the car's life so far before the previous owner had it for about five years and now it's uh, mine. So uh, it's, okay. it's been around the block a few times, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but five, <coughs> five owners for a car of that age, for a car that's, you know, 85 model car, you know what I mean? Mm. Mm. That's not that many, really. You would expect, in, for certain models, I think I would expect that, that it would have had more owners. So it seems like it's quite been quite a well-looked-after, <clears throat> well-loved kind of car that people have, there's only been, the, you're the fifth owner, so there's been four owners before you. So mm. it's a strong car. The engine's, the engine's strong, which is the most important part. The other things are just things that you would probably expect to <clears throat> need to fix on a, on a car that's that old, uh, suspension. How were the tyres? Were the tyres okay? Did you have to replace those as well? Well, at the time they seemed fine, but uh, uh, part of the, I've replaced the tires, and I found out um, the most recent tires were pre pre uh, pre two thousand, so uh, they don't they needed to be replaced. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, so, what are the uh, what are the wheels on the car, Dan? What are the wheels? I can't remember. Are they steel wheels on the nineteen eighty five, or are they what are the wheels? Um, so nineteen eighty five, um they swapped I, I'm pretty sure they swapped over to the telephone, um sort of the tele the cooking sorry, um what am I saying? The the tele dial sort of looking wheels on them. Um before that the standard wheels were these cookie cutter ones. Um but a a popular nine four four look is to have those fooks, um the you know, black fooks on the wheel on the car. Uh, my car's got. Uh, yeah, I'm BBS looking at your. Wheels. I'm sorry, I'm looking at your pictures now. So your wheels are quite cool. What are they? Are they Porsche wheels? Uh they're BBS wheels. So I th- it was quite a. It's a period. It was a period um, choice, I believe, to have those uh, BBS Marley uh, Marl wheels on the car. Um, sort of a a uh, how do you put it? A like a, a cross wire sort of look um, to the wheel, I suppose. Um, the not dissimilar to the aero wheel that they used on the uh, 924 race cars um, at Le Mans, um, which I guess the 944 try so hard to look like. Yeah. So they're, they're, a, they're an aftermarket wheel. They're a BBS wheel. And we all know BBS has a relationship with Porsche anyway. But so when – so are you tempted to get – I'm sort of jumping around here, but are you tempted to get the a period correct wheel that was on the car? Um, look, I came pretty close to buying some Fuchs wheels uh, earlier in the year, um, but I kind of uh, I decided against it at the time because the BBS wheels were um, that they are period correct. They're just not. Uh, I guess they they weren't uh, OEM to to my, the best of my knowledge. Um, but if you were, if someone was, you know, tuning their nine four four or you know whatever, um, they'd probably be uh, a wheel that you would put on at the time. Um, and in my mind, I've uh, at the time when I bought the car, before I bought this car, I'd always wanted a, a you know, the very cliched guards red Fuchs wheels nine four four. But since buying my one, which is uh, sort of lovingly called by some people the pink porker in certain light, um, I've decided that the car actually probably doesn't look so bad with these BBS wheels. And I've been thinking of uh, the the paint is. Uh, peeling in some parts of the wheel if i look really closely when i clean when i clean it and uh, okay it, they used to be gold in the center um they're currently silver okay uh they've been resprayed silver at some point in time so i'm probably going to get those stripped back uh in in near future and repainted in the, the famous bbs gold yeah i think that's the way to go i mean you know i'll just tell the listeners you sent me some images via dm um and the car looks great you know what i mean it really does and i like the color I like the color how it's a little bit more interesting. I like how it's not. I like how it's not guards red. You know what I mean? Um, because nine four fours, nine two fours, they always seem to come up in guards red. They're like SCs. They're always in guards red. Um, and I'm not a big red <laughs> fan, but I do like these metallic, these burgundy, pinkish. You know, it's not cassis red, but it's like a gar- Like you said, it's garnet red, which looks a little bit like, um, you know, in. It, it, 
it looks a bit like colors that have been in the 993, 964, I think it was. You know, it's similar. You can see the progression in Porsche, how their colors go. But mm. I, think that, I think it's a good idea that you get the wheels, you know, the wheels refurbished and just keep those wheels because the wheels do actually really look good on the car. So let's just, I've I'm, mm. I'm jumped, I'm jumped forward a bit because, you, you, you know, you contact the guy in, in Melbourne, you do a PPI, you're satisfied that because the engine's strong, you know, the other things are just things that you would expect to, to replace on a car that's, you know, over 30 years old. So how do you get the car back to Queensland? And what is it like when you get the car delivered? Is it as you expect it? Um, well, I'm, I'm quite fortunate that uh, we have family friends that uh, are in the car sales business. So they were able to point me in the right direction with uh, a good company um, to get the car delivered up here um so it was fairly quickly after uh the decision was made to pull the trigger on this car um brought back to uh to brisbane via a truck um and i was quite fortunate as well because uh at that time melbourne was going through a bit of a covid uh lockdown as well so uh because it was brought back on on one of these regular trucks it, it, it wasn't required to get locked down with the rest of the the state so it was brought up here and um unfortunately i didn't realize but uh the car needed a fair did need most of the work that i had anticipated that i could uh do in my own time needed to be done fairly well right up front to get a roadworthy certificate done on the car um and it was uh, it, it was just as i said it was just things like suspension but um it, it turned out to be uh, you know kind of a nice experience in a way because i I took out. It had um, the from what I could tell, the the mechanic could tell the original struts in it. So we replaced those with conies um, in the car. Um, as I said before, the AC was regassed, um, and I've I'm still struggling with it a little bit today. But um, the steering rack was also reconditioned at that point in time. So there was a lot of these sorts of things that had to be done on the car. Um, it took a couple of months to do, but. Um, at that, by the time it came out, it actually timed very well with my uh, partner's birthday. So I, I surprised her and picked her up in, in a Porsche um, for a birthday, which was okay. kind of nice. <laughs> so when it's delivered, so when it's delivered, Dan, you didn't, get, you didn't actually drive it first. You couldn't drive it because you had to get it registered and you couldn't get it registered with the issues that were, were happening with the car. Is that correct? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. It was just, um, I got to look at it a lot, but I didn't get to drive it a lot. So. so how do you pick the right person in Brisbane for the 944? How do you pick? Do you go to a Porsche independent specialist? Do you want to take it straight to Porsche and get them to fix it? Um, how did you find this uh, this specialist? Well, I'm currently with another specialist now. So I've swapped specialists and there's okay. only two in Brisbane. Um, so... The, the first specialist that I was with, uh, as it turned out, was uh, affixed with uh, with the car um, mechanic that I'd, I'd already been seeing. Um, and I thought they were a specialist, but uh, as time has gone on and forums have revealed, they've probably, I believe that um, it's not quite the same business that it once was in terms of okay. uh, who works there and whatnot. Um, so I've since moved to a uh, another specialist. Um but it ended up being a little bit poetic in a way because the specialist I'm with now, uh, I'd gone to their, their workshop uh, a few years ago with my boss who's, uh, who owns a 993. Um, and he, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but uh, yeah, I ended, up being, I ended up being a customer of theirs in, oh, that's cool. in due course, which was kind of nice. Yeah. So that day when you take the car and you pick up your partner, uh, is that the first hmm. time you really got to drive it or had you driven it? Taking it for a no, a, a, no, that was the fir- that was the first time. Yeah, that was, was the first um, time. It was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, it was. Uh, went into the city, picked her up, went out for dinner. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was perfect. It was so good. So, um, was the first question, "Where do you get all your money from?" <laughs> <laughs> where, where have you um, been no, hiding she saw all this money? <laughs> yeah, she saw the paint job first on the car, so she she knew that I, I must have I must have gone somewhere pretty scoundrelly to get this car. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you pick it up. That's the first time you drive it. Um, at that point, you've got the things fixed that you need to get it registered in Queensland to pass registration. What else do you need to do then? Are there other things on the list that are, that are urgent 
or can you just sort of enjoy it now and just fix them gradually over the next few years? Yeah, look, I mean, part of um, part of something that I was searching for when buying this car was I, I wanted an old, I actually wanted an old car, um, which this car has definitely turned out to be. Um, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to be able to, I, I, I've always lived in the inner city, um, so I've not really ever had uh, the space to work on my cars and modern cars, I feel, are probably just a, a step too far to begin working on things. So uh, I've started, you know, I've started uh, repairing some of the interior, you know, just very minor things in the interior, like putting things back together that had sort of fallen apart over time and uh, changing the oil and things on the car. So that that was that's part of the experience that I've uh, been searching for, and it's definitely come about um, with this one. Um, but the other things that needed to happen with this car were uh, needed, as it turned out, the uh, it's probably a bit of a, a cooling problem um, with this generation of 944. Um, they, uh, it's just the the way that the, the system was put together, I guess. Uh, I ended up needing things had worn out with the car, but because um, mine's got air conditioning, for instance, it's got two fans on the front. Um, so uh, I was trying to get those electronics and things to work properly, kick in properly. Um, so it needed to go back to the mechanic a couple of times for that. The most recent one, which is part of the reason why I'm with the mechanic I'm with now, is the steering rack. Um, it's difficult to find someone that knows what they're doing. Uh, for a car like this, um, uh, I feel like I'm with the right guy now. I mean, uh, if you if you live in Brisbane, uh, you know the you know the mechanic. There's a Carrera GT sitting there at the moment, so it's it seems oh, okay. to be the right place. <laughs> okay, so the, the steering rack you mentioned that before. So the steering rack is sorted now, or it still has issues? Yeah, yeah, it seems to be sorted now. At one point, it was uh, you know you turn the wheel and all the oil shoots out the side of the car like a James Bond car. Oh, really? Um, like a very yeah, very broken James Bond car, but uh, yeah, no, it seems to be sorted now. It's just uh, there's parts in the there's parts in the steering rack which uh, are, you know, like a Tefl- Teflon seals and things like that. Um, they needed to be replaced, and um, uh, I guess the you know, fortunately, um, you know, most of my understanding with older cars is from Alfa Romeo's, and I, I know that they're very difficult to get parts for. So for at least with uh, at least with Porsches, they're relatively easy to get parts for. So um, yeah, managed to get most of the bits and pieces sorted out for it, which has definitely been uh, been good. So that 944 steering rack issue, is that a common problem? So that's a common problem to the 944 model? I don't believe it's a – it's a problem, I guess, because of the age of the vehicle. It's not an unknown problem. Okay. Um, it's – there's definitely been people that have talked about it in forums and things like that um, that needed to get it repaired. Um, I know in a, one of the it's a car that um, for a very long time was very undervalued and very cheap, particularly in the states. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of videos and things like that on YouTube where younger people have bought the car and taken off the power steering and right. I guess that somehow solved most of their problems, but I'm yeah, not and you bought, to do that. You purchased the car, when did you purchase the car? About a year ago, you said? Yeah, just over probably 18, 18 months ago. 18 months ago, it was before COVID. Oh, 18 so, months ago. Okay, so yeah. almost almost two years. So two years ago, the yeah. prices, so what was the, you don't have to tell me the price you, you paid for your car if you don't want to share it, but the, the, the value of a 944 then, the low end and the top end, for, for the mm. model like yours, what sort of range was it so the listeners get an idea of the price of this car in Australia? Yeah, so um, there's with 944 prices, there's definitely brackets that it can be broken into. So there's the 944s, the original ones like my one with the square dash, uh, definitely at the, as it uh, turns out, at the bottom end of things. Um, and then at the top end of things, turbo, you know, turbos sit there. Um, so at the time, uh, so I bought my car for uh, $10,000 and uh, that was, that was, uh, oh, that's great. I've seen them. I, I, I ended up seeing, I've seen one cheaper than that on car sales. So I know you can definitely go on places like Gumtree and things like that. Uh, I saw there was one in, uh, in Queensland that had been painted uh, electric blue and had someone had carbon carbon wrapped the whole interior i'm not, not just the dashboard like the whole interior <laughs> yeah. there's some scary um, so ones i see one, them i see them come up every night again there's some scary ones out there yeah that's it so and that one was more expensive than my one so uh you know the 
there's that, that's sort of the bottom that was near the that's the bottom end of things that you're looking at and then uh at the moment though i i believe the cheapest one on car sales is around about twenty four thousand dollars. that's what like i was that. going to say dan you know since you know that's 18 months ago i think you'd be pushed to get one under 20 now in australia i don't think you'd, you'd see one come up under 20 would you no i if you did i uh yeah i'm not sure i mean uh, I had a friend, I've, I'll get to this story next, I guess, which is sort of the next part of Porsche ownership. But um, I had a friend, this friend sent me a uh, one that was being auctioned and it was sitting at, I don't know what it ended up finishing up at, but it was on $8,000 already. And this car was like, there's a family of pelicans had been sleeping in it, made it a nest or something. There was just <laughs> literally crap all over literally. it. Yeah, 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 it was bad, you know. So, um, so, I mean, like, you know, the cars have definitely picked up a bit with the COVID tax. Um, yeah. But, uh, no, it, yeah, it, I mean, I'm not sure, to be honest. No, you go. No, it makes sense, though. I was just going to say, going back to when you said, you know, you, you knew it was mechanically sound when you did the PPI, right? You invested in the PPI. It's a low-priced car, but you still invested the few hundred dollars in a PPI. It comes through, you know, there's maintenance items that have to be done. But like you said, you know, the cost of those maintenance, maintenance items, really, compared to the cost of the car you know in a couple of years you're not going to lose money on the 944. You know what I mean? You, you're not going to lose money on that car, even if you put another five or six grand into it, um, which you've found mm. already. So, you know, it's hard to have this foresight, you know, when you're buying a car. But I think with Porsche, you have to do realize that every model in Porsche will go up in price. Every model eventually will mm. go up in price. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a weird market now and it's very hard to get into. And, and, you know, the 944 and like we said, the 924 and the Boxsters, they were easy to get into. And I looked at Boxster prices the other day and I, I've noticed they've gone up by about 10 grand on some of the 04 models, you know, just like that. They've just gone up by 10 grand. So the prices are getting crazy. Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, yeah. I was just, um, just going to say though, like I think if you – I'm not sure I'd be able to justify buying the car that I bought now for that that amount of money because I'm, I'm – I feel fairly convinced in my mind that someone with my relationship with uh, the you know the people in in the business, I guess, which is very low. Um, I'm just a entry level consumer, I guess. I'm not someone that knows people. But uh, if I was looking to get buy this car again, I don't think it would. I could justify spending the same amount of money on the car because it would just become an overvalued proposition um, in terms of the repair cost versus what it was purchased for and things like that. And I, mean, I don't want to get it sound as if I'm one of those people that only bought the car as an investment because it, it absolutely wasn't the case for me. It was just uh, just trying to be uh, realist about and conscious of why spending, if you know what I mean, rather than just throwing money at something that yeah. uh, I've seen it happen before with dad's cars. It's, it's not pretty, the end result. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, classic cars uh, can be yeah. a money pit. They can be definitely be a money pit. So what are mm. you, so what are you planning else? You say you've been tinkering with the car. You've been doing some oil changes. You've been fixing up the interior. Um, what seats does your car have? Does it have the fabric seats? Does it have the iconic seats? What, what is, what is uh, the, the finish on the seats? So currently, it's got um, some. One of the previous owners has had them trimmed in um, in a sort of a white, uh, fake, you know, man-made leather sort of stuff. I guess originally it's supposed to have the Porsche scripted seats in the car. So I'm keeping an eye out for that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to put those back in the car. I have been um, I have been tossing up whether to put some uh, bucket seats in the car, but I, I suspect that wouldn't go down very well with my partner. Um, it's my only car, so. <laughs> um, I think yeah. if you can if you can find the Porsche script seats. I mean, I know that, um, and I'm guessing people in Australia. I know Steve, you know, always mentions John at Pro Stitch in Sydney, who's who works on a lot of Porsches. But that Porsche script seats in your car would just be, I think, is is the way to go. If that's what it originally mm. had, that's what I would be doing because I think it's just. I mean, I love those seats. I think they look fantastic. Um, and mm. I know in the UK they have the fabric, whether it's uh, reproduced or whatever. I know that you can actually get them recovered in that mm. fabric. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's uh, my current leaning is uh, to have a. Uh, if I am to do anything to the car, it's things that would have been done at the time. So, for instance, I've got a prototypo steering wheel in the car at the moment. The BBS wheels are probably. I'm quite happy with those. Um, it's. I, I don't think I, I. I'm not. I don't feel comfortable putting new things in the car like you know obviously new things in the car it just doesn't feel like the right thing to do for it um 
yeah, even even I was very fortunate. Even the radio is uh, from uh, what I can. It's uh, Blaupunkt radio, okay. not quite the right generation, but it's it's you know it's the correct sort of radio. So that's it's all kind of there at the moment, which I'm quite happy with. So everything in the interior pretty much works, Dan. Everything's pretty much working. There's nothing that's not working, really. Um, sunroof's not working, which is a, a common problem with yes. the car. Um, it's got a pretty interesting mechanism. Um, it's the motors. <laughs> in the boot basically oh, okay. uh, and it, it's run to the uh it's run up to the the sunroof um with cogs and things oh okay like so it so, actually works from the um from the rear wow yeah that's right yeah like uh, so that's the next thing that i'm going to tackle is uh uh checking just going to do a troubleshoot on that and see what's not working in so that that's side of something you can do by yourself if you get the right parts you think if you can find the parts or replacement parts and fix it yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, it's uh, at the very least, I'll figure out. Which, I'd like to try figuring out which parts not working in the car. Yes. Um, so uh, at the moment, I just I want to progress to a point where I can look after the car and then take it to the mechanic um, when just to get it, make sure I've done everything right, and if there's anything you know prognostically that can be done to make sure that it's not you know nothing dramatic's going to happen with the car. Uh, in the yeah. future, then that, that's kind of the point I want to be at um, with things, I yeah, guess. That's, that's uh, a good way to be. How is the, um, talking of things that break down, everyone knows with these um, Porsches with pop-up headlights, the 944, it's iconic. It's iconic features are those pop-up headlights. You know, the the other thing that I always think of with the 944 is the, the wheel arches are a bit flared, how it's got that shape. It's got a really nice shape. How are the pop-up mm-hmm. headlights? Because they're prone to fail, aren't they? I've been very lucky. Mine are, mine are good. Um, there's a number of people that seen, that have uh, provided different ways of modifying the headlights, but um, at, I'm quite fortunate that mine seem to be working fine. The other car that we have in the family is a, an MX-5, uh, an NA model, and that even that car's had occasionally had little gremlins with the pop-up headlights. So you know, touch wood, no, mine's okay at the moment. Oh, that's so, good. That's good. Yeah. Okay, so. You- this car at the moment, it's, it's reasonably sorted. I mean, there's some cosmetic things you want to fix and, and things like that. But so how does it feel now that you, you when you're driving it? I mean, you've got, it's a 2.5 litre, right? You said it's four-cylinder. Mm. Um, is there enough power? Do you feel like there's enough power? Are there any tweaks you can do to the car to get more power or are you quite happy with the experience as it is? And as all the listeners know and you would know, I mean, I'm, I'm still wanting a 912 and they have no power at all. Um, but I was listening to a, po- a podcast the other day, a very old Spikes Car Radio, um, and it was actually Jerry Seinfeld that had a 912 Targa. Um, and mm. he said oh, yeah, it, yeah, because no. it's so sordid, I don't know whether you listen to that episode, it's a really good episode actually. Um, and he's mm. got three 912s. And the 912 Targa, he said, was so well sorted. And then the other guy, Zuckerman, and, and had a drive of it, and he couldn't believe how fast it felt for such a small engine. So is the experience overriding mm. the fact that it is, you know, the smaller engine in the 944? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's definitely faster cars out there, um, uh, you know, but I, I feel like with speed's not necessarily uh, speed. For me, I feel like speed's not necessarily what the, you know, the speedometer's reading. It's it's how you feel driving in the car, yeah. um, you know, and uh, I've tried to explain this to my friend who's, you know, just all, he, he's really into his BMWs and things, but uh it's just it's more to do with how you feel driving the car, and with the nine four four, it's uh, yeah, it's it it feels like you're going fast, but you're doing the speed limit, you know, like uh, it's it you have the windows down, the wind the wind's roaring, um, it takes more effort to get to a, a certain speed, so it's it's a more I, 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 there was a podcast that you had a um, an episode that you had quite a long time ago about um, it's the car that you. You don't. What was it? It was the car you buy because you you like driving. Um, and I really feel like the nine four four responds well to that idea of Porsches being this car that you like driving in, not necessarily one that uh, you you know you buy cars because it's showy. I mean, obviously they they work on that level too. But uh, I I feel like at least with the nine four four, it's definitely how it goes through the corners. The, it's just the weight balance in the car is it it's. I mean, having driven front-wheel drive cars most of my life, I guess, um, it's just, it feels right, you know? 
Yeah, and you've got the manual. It's five-speed, isn't it? The 944, five-speed? That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then you've got the manual, yeah, which gives speed. you that extra experience, you know, where you can actually rev mm. it out and you can experience, you know, I think it was the automatic, it would be a different uh, a different scenario because the automatic's not supposed to be that great, right? The three-speed, three-speed, is it? Three-speed automatic, I think. Yeah. Um, but the fact that you've got the manual... It's a different... I think it would be a different level of engagement, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah Just yeah. a different... Uh, yeah. And also the fact that you redid the suspension, you got conies, you know, the popular choice, you got the conies. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure when you got those conies fitted, they set it, they set up the car in a, in a way for you as well, right? They would have aligned the car and set up the car? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, they, you know, they're, they're adjustable, uh, the yellow, the yellow conies as well. So they're the sort of more sporty ones, I guess. Um, so, yeah, they, they helped set things up a little bit on the car, but the, the, the couple of cars that are 944s that I had test driven had the Bose uh, and Saks suspension um, uh, insert struts in them. So they, uh, they, it definitely didn't, it felt a little bit different. I have to say like the, it felt a bit stiffer in the car, which was nice. Um, once, once I'd driven my one with the Coney's in it, um, it was at the time I wasn't actually quite sure which way I'd go because I was, I'd been, Looking at Bilstein's, I think B6s were uh, something that were a few people were suggesting yeah. um, for the car. Um, I ended up going with the Coney's because uh, a bit more familiar um, with people putting them in the car, I guess. I'd seen, I'd seen uh, with older cars, I'd seen that they were a bit more of a common thing. And uh, uh, to be honest, the Bilstein's were also just hard to come by. Uh, I ended up, the Coney's were also difficult to come by. I ended up, uh, the mechanic couldn't get a hold of them, but they thought they'd got the right part and then turned out they'd gotten the wrong one. Um, so they're saying, oh, it's going to be another two months. I was like, oh, can't wait two months yeah, for that. Yeah. So I ended up uh, finding a company in France. Uh, some people might know it's called Rose Passion. Um, oh, they yes. do a lot of, yeah, yeah. I've heard uh, of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, most of the stuff on their website's quite expensive, but for whatever reason, these conies were actually cheaper than what I was going to buy in Australia. Um, even through the um, deal, the representative Coney's rep in um, in Australia, and they got delivered within five days, which was crazy. Um, this was uh, this was just coming into COVID, so I was pretty surprised that happened. Well, that's good. Are there any other tweaks you want to do to the suspension, Dan? Is there anything else you've read about online that you you attempted to lot of sort of play with, or you're happy with how it is now? No, uh, definitely. Um, I'd like to dream. Um, and I think I'd, I'd like to put a, a thicker torsion bar yep. uh, on it. Um, and I'd probably like to put slightly lower springs on it. Um, just not, there's a, there's a, a package that, um, the turbo S came out with called the M 030 yes. um, suspension pack. And I'd like to maybe approach something a bit like that, but, um, yeah, the, it probably I probably should leave the car. So you can buy honest. that that yeah. that package. Can you buy? Can you still buy that package from Porsche? Can you get that parts from Porsche Classic? Um, you know I'm not sure if uh, I haven't looked to see if Porsche Classic. Uh, I haven't I haven't been able to find it um, through any uh, dealers, but uh, maybe Porsche Classic might have it. I haven't looked into that one. Yeah, possibly. Uh, to be honest, it's because probably not. Um, it's not something that would probably be worthwhile buying through Porsche um, for my car because I suspect it might be too expensive. Yeah, uh, bit expensive, but um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. That's for sure. Okay, so you've had the car for for eighteen months. Um, what else is planned? What so there's nothing else planned. You're pretty much happy with the. You're going to refurbish the wheels. Um, the suspension is always something that you want to fix. How's the sound of the car? I didn't ask you about the exhaust. Actually, how's the sound of the car? Yeah, so I've um, I had someone um, the original exhaust had rusted through. Um, so I got a new stainless steel one put on the car. Um, I'm a bit can I'm a bit wary of making it sound too. Uh, to uh, ricey, I guess, by putting a big farty exhaust on it. So um, currently, it's just uh, it, it makes a it makes a nice sort of noise when when you put your foot into it a little bit. So I'm quite happy with that. Um, I need to do a bit more research into finding what some good alternatives are for that side of things. What do um, um, what does the, the the purest choice do have for that? Danks? Do Danks have a good exhaust for the 944? Yeah, I've seen people uh, put a dance um, exhaust on the car. Um, I'd like to say I think I've even there's a Fisker. Um, the Fisker, yeah. Mine is well. yeah, Fisker. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, he does actually. Yeah, 
Um, but it's not something that it's it's not something high on the priority list because uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. I didn't buy the 944 for its sound. It's not exactly uh, there's there's probably other transaxle cars out there that yes. uh, you'd buy for the engine rather than the the car. Whereas I feel like with the 944, you're buying it because of the overall package rather than specifically the the engine um i suppose yeah yeah, yeah true true all right so we're getting t- towards the end of the podcast is there anything else you want to tell the listeners about the the 944 um look i mean it's just uh, uh i felt like uh you know I, I i wanted to come on to talk about it a little bit because all you know all these other 911s have just gone astronomical and i used to always think that when i was younger that yeah one day i'd be able to afford a a nine, you know, an older nine eleven, but uh, that sort of seems to be escaping my grasp a little bit at this point in time. Um, whereas, I, and I felt like with the nine four four, it is definitely an underappreciated vehicle. Um, so it'd just be really interesting to hear uh, what others have to say about you know out, out there with nine four fours, what their experience has been with the car. Um, it's a, it just it drives so well, and it's it's definitely. It fits into that description of a Porsche, you know. Not all Porsches have to be 911s, I guess. They can be, um, you know, cars that you like to drive. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's the history yeah, of yeah. that 944, right? And I did read this before we came online because I just, you know, I just wanted to refresh myself a little bit. And the thing I wrote, I read on the Porsche site when they have all the classic models, you know, they have a bit of a blurb about every classic model on the on the main Porsche site. And it, you know, and and the nine four four, and I didn't know this. The nine four four, it says, bridge the price and performance gap between the nine twenty nine two four and the nine eleven SC, mm. and that's that's how they introduced it. But you know, the fact that the car was a, you know, was in production for what was it nine or ten years, right? It was it was literally mm. in production for nine or ten years, which means it was a popular model. You know what I mean? Mm. And at the time, you got to think Porsche was going in that direction where. You know, the 928 was supposed to replace the 911, which, you know, it didn't. But, you know, this this whole um, progression of Porsche, really, you know what I mean? It, 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 it's, I think the 924s and 944s and 968s, 968s and 928s, are just, it's just such a, a, a snapshot of Porsche's history at the time and what they were thinking, you know what I mean? Um, mm. And they weren't making a lot of money. Porsche weren't making a lot of money, I don't think, at that time. So it's just interesting the cars that they were that they were developing and, and thinking about for their, for their future. And I think that's what the 944 mm. is. It is, you know, it's, it's just getting a flashback of the mindset of those people at Porsche, what they, what they wanted to produce and what they wanted to engineer. So I think in that respect, it's, um, it's, a, it's a really good model. Hey, when, um, mm. let's, yeah. uh, sorry, anything else, Dan? Oh, no, no, that's, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> so let's, let's, uh, let's go to the last thing that everyone, uh, everyone likes to hear about, um, not that anyone can come to Australia at the moment, but when when the international listeners or the or the Sydney listeners or the Melbourne listeners can travel interstate and there's no COVID restrictions, what are the roads that you would say take your 944 or take your Porsche on um, when you're in Brisbane? What are your favourite roads that you've you've driven your car on so far? You know, we're so lucky here in Brisbane um, with the roads that we can we can go down. Um, just you know, half an hour from the city, you know, not even half an hour from the city, you can. Go out Mount Glorious and Mount Nebo, um, the Mount Nebo, Mount Glorious rather. Um, that's a really popular one, but you've got to avoid the cyclists. Um, I'd, I'd have to say my favourite one's probably going out towards the dams. So uh, you head out via Mount Me um, towards some towards Somerset Dam. Um, it's just it it suits the car. It's they're not it's not necessarily canyon carving, but they're sort of more sweeping roads and. It's very picturesque. It, it suits, the, yeah. It just it really suits the sort of touring sort of vehicle that it is. Yeah, twisties. It likes the twisties. It likes the. It's likes the turns. Yeah, and that's the most fun you can have in a car anyway. On those, I still think. You know, it's not about like you said. It's not about going fast. It's about, and that's what I like in my nine nine seven. When I get a chance to drive it again, is just doing those. You know, those twisty bends and and. I always mm. like going up the hill, you know, doing the twist up the hill. Yeah. I always find that better than going down. You know what I mean? I always find yeah. that more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, that's about it. Thank you so much for, um, for coming on today. Um, I know it's taken a little while for me to get around to you, but thank you for coming on and, and sharing the story about the 944. As I said to you before we started recording, I haven't had anyone on the podcast who currently still owns a 944. I know there have been a few owners, and I can't remember who they were off the top of my head, who have owned transaxles. 
Um, but you're the you're the only owner so far that's still got one and, and enjoying it. So I think the listeners are going to um, enjoy your story. Um, regarding anyone who wants to reach out to you and follow you, you're not on Instagram, are you? Because a lot of people connect through Instagram here, and I don't think you're on Instagram, are you? No, I'm. Uh yeah, I'm a bit of a recluse. Um, okay. <laughs> Internet-wise, like um, I've, yeah, <laughs> I've got Facebook, um, which is, yeah, I guess how I reached out to you. Um, so that's just my name. Um, oh, yeah, it's Daniel Lonigan, so it's fine. Everyone can look me up there. That's fine. <laughs> All right. But, I, uh, I'll share a link in the description. We'll talk about that later, and I'll share a link in the description just in case people want to yeah, see your car and, and, and look at your car, other images. Um, of course, I'll see it mm. when, when this podcast is live because it'll be in the post of the, of the podcast. Daniel, mm. thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been awesome, and uh, look forward to listening to more episodes. <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks. All right, everyone, uh, that's Dan coming in from Brisbane in Australia. Dan's got a... 1984. Is it 1985 model year, Dan? Yeah, well, because um, I guess Porsche do that thing where they, they start the yeah, model year confusing. halfway through the year. So it's technically, yeah, it's super confusing. So I guess an 85, yeah. Okay, so 84, 85 model year, Porsche 944. Uh, he's owned it for 18 months, enjoying it. Um, it's a good entry. Even at today's prices, it's still a good entry into the Porsche range. Um, if you want to get into Porsche, like I say, you should just buy what you can afford and enjoy it now. You can always go up to another model. You can always, or you might just stay with, with the 944 or whatever you buy, Boxster. Anyway, that's it for owner stories today. Like I said, number 43, Dan from uh, Queensland with his 944. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.